The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Let's head to the legislature for the daily update from Dr. Dina Hinshaw. I hope everyone was able to enjoy the long weekend and found ways to connect with loved ones. I was delighted to hear and read of the many examples of how Albertans were celebrating this weekend. Bridge Church in Fort Saskatchewan held a drive-in Easter Sunday service, allowing community members to come together in faith while keeping their distance. I've also heard of a number of churches, synagogues, gurdwaras and mosques that are choosing to celebrate online, either through live broadcasts or by connecting worshippers to online resources. Not specific to the weekend, I've also received messages describing milestone birthday celebrations for those in long-term care or other facilities where using technology like Zoom made it possible to connect people across the country and beyond to create a bigger virtual party than what could be possible for an in-person party. Thank you for sharing your stories of the moments of joy and the unanticipated small benefits that have been found in the middle of this unusual time. I want to say thank you to all of you for doing your part to prevent the spread this weekend. You have helped save lives. For our numbers today, we have confirmed 81 new cases of COVID-19 in the last 24 hours. This brings the total number of cases to 1,732. Of these, 877 people have recovered. This is 54 more than yesterday. We suspect 254 of our total cases may be as a result of community transmission. Sadly, I must report an additional two deaths from COVID-19. One of these deaths occurred in the CareWest Sarsi Continuing Care Facility in Calgary Zone. I want to offer my condolences to the family and friends of these individuals. This is a difficult time. The loss of these lives is a reminder of why we are taking the measures that are implemented now. Preventing the spread prevents deaths. Another way of preventing the spread is through testing and putting measures in place for confirmed cases and contacts. In the weeks since the first case in Alberta, our provincial lab has done a remarkable job of increasing its capacity for testing to meet the demand. Our labs completed 2,465 tests in the last 24 hours, bringing our total to 77,007 people tested since our response began. We have seen from other jurisdictions that have successfully flattened the curve that aggressive testing is essential to controlling the spread. As I've said before, it's extremely important to not just complete as many tests as we can, but that we are also purposeful in our testing. In the past few weeks, we have adjusted eligibility requirements to ensure those most in need or at highest risk are able to access testing. Starting about 10 days ago, when our lab was able to clear the backlog of samples from returning travelers and was also able to expand their ability to run more daily tests, we started testing healthcare workers. In addition to anyone with respiratory symptoms admitted to hospital, anyone ill in continuing care settings, and samples taken in our primary care influenza surveillance sites. Shortly after that, we added first responders and correctional facility staff. 
Most recently, we expanded eligibility for testing to anyone with COVID-19 symptoms in the Calgary zone and anyone 65 years or older or who lived with someone 65 years or older across the province. Even with all these expansions, we still have capacity to do more testing. And so at this point, we are expanding further. You have previously heard me say that we were not able to test every Albertan with a cough or runny nose, but we believe that we may now be at the point where we can do so. That is why, effective immediately, we are expanding eligibility for testing to anyone in Alberta who has a fever, cough, shortness of breath, runny nose, or sore throat. If you have any of these COVID-19 symptoms, it is important to remember the critical first step. Stay home if you're sick. Your next step should be to take the AHS online assessment form in order to arrange testing. There is no need to call 811 for those who complete the form. And completing this online form is the most efficient way to arrange for a test. We will carefully monitor the volume of completed tests and may need to make adjustments at some point in the future if we have more requests for testing than the capacity to perform them. Having said that, as long as we maintain our testing and lab capacity, it is my hope that we can continue to offer this broad access to testing. With this change going forward, we will see a further increase in the number of cases confirmed every day as a result of this testing. We have already seen this increase over the past few days with the expansion that we have already done. I know seeing this increase in numbers may be a concern to some, but it's important to remember that the number of daily confirmed cases as a percent of the tests done every day has remained approximately similar through the past several weeks. When we look at the provincial numbers by the date the swabs were collected, the percentage of tests that have come back positive has been approximately 2% for the past several weeks. This indicates that the rate of infection has remained relatively stable over the last while. Another thing we look at is the rate of hospitalization, which is currently a more accurate indicator of the trend than our total case numbers. This is because, as I mentioned, our total case numbers are determined by our testing eligibility, which has changed over the last 10 days. Going forward, testing all symptomatic Albertans will give us a more complete picture of trending over time. In the coming days, I will be releasing COVID-19 hospitalization trends, which will give us a better picture of the spread over the past several weeks. Our knowledge of this virus and how it spreads continues to grow. Our testing and surveillance approach will continue to adapt as needed, and the information we gain will inform adjustments to our public health measures going forward. Thank you, and I'll now take questions. Operator, could you put through the first question, please? First question is from Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. Yeah, g'day, Dr. Hinshaw. I hope the Easter bunny came. I think most of Alberta probably thinks you deserve some chocolate. Um, my question is about why Alberta is sending PPEs, um, including masks, to other provinces when doctors here, and we're talking about specialists like cardiologists, e-nose and throat surgeries, sorry, specialists, those kind of um, 
specialists. Um, we're hearing stories that they're actually having to buy masks and other protective gear on the open market. So they're having to pay a premium and then they're having to kind of ration those masks and even reuse them in some cases. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more to the, um, yeah, basically why stuff is being sent outside of Alberta when specialists are being caught short. So uh, that probably would be a better question to direct to um, the minister's office. I will say that I know that the Provincial Operations Centre is taking in requests for personal protective equipment for those who are outside of Alberta Health Services. Uh, and so if there are specialists who are having a difficult time accessing personal protective equipment that they need in their jobs, uh, then the Provincial Operations Centre, uh, and we can follow up with the contact for that if you want to run that specific contact, is taking those requests and then evaluating them um, against urgency of need. Uh, so if, if there are specialists who weren't aware of that, we can certainly make sure that that contact information is passed on. Uh, but the specific decisions about the uh, sending of PPE to other provinces, probably best to direct to the Minister's office. And Emma, we can get back to you with uh, that information. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next question is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, Dr. Hinchock. Could we just get a little bit more clarification on uh, the details of the two deaths from today? I know one we said was from Care West RC, the other one in ages and, and genders. Mm -hmm. uh, so the other uh, death was a male in his 80s in the Calgary zone, not in a continuing care facility. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Sorry, Tom, maybe I'll just say yep. uh, that the death, uh, the other death was a female in her 80s. Uh, I think that was also asked for, yeah. Excellent. Operator, could you put through the next question? Next is Harrison 09 with Eagle uh, 100.9. Go ahead, Harrison. Hello, Dr. Henshaw. Um, I was monitoring the numbers for High River over the weekend based on the province's geospatial data. Um, it indicated 26 active cases on Saturday, 44 on Sunday, and then 58 today. Um, that seems like a pretty big spike to me. Are you aware of any events or location where that spike may have, um, or why that spike may have occurred? Yeah, so what I'm aware of, and, and again, the specifics of investigations are dealt with by local Alberta Health Services, medical officers of health. But what I'm aware of is that in High River, there have been several cases linked to households where there are lots of people living together, uh, where transmission has likely happened in those households. And so I know that Alberta Health Services, the medical officers of health in the Calgary zone, have been aware of the, the risk of transmission that they have seen several of those cases and they have been working uh, with the local municipality uh, and making sure that active follow-up is done. So they are really aggressively pursuing all the things we typically do when we identify cases, identify close contacts, make sure that people are, uh, if they are close contact, that they're staying away from others for 14 days. Uh, and that those who are cases are staying away from others for 10 days from the start of their symptoms or until symptoms end, whichever is longer. Uh, so again, the, the information about High River from the last discussion that I had with the local medical officers of health uh, was really about certainly more cases in that one particular location uh, than you know, higher rate per their population. However, it did seem to be really focused on several households that were connected together
and they are doing the follow-up as they would for any other uh, case investigation to try to control the spread. Operator, could you put through another question? Yes, next is Sammy Huds with Post Media. Go ahead. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, two questions, if I may. I was wondering if you can first confirm a report we received about uh, an outbreak of at least one staff member at Care West George Boyack long-term care home in Calgary. Um, my second question is, you had previously said that the, the province uh, hadn't yet limited staff to working at one long-term care facility at, at a time uh, due to concerns about staffing, the impact they could have on care for residents. Um, I'm wondering now, with that step being taken this week, how confident are you that facilities will all have enough staff to take care of residents, and especially as some staff are forced to self-isolate the impact that could have? So for the first question, uh, the information I have is that there is one confirmed case. I don't have information about if that's staff or resident, but one confirmed case at Care West George Boyack. Uh, so that matches the information I have. With respect to the question about will there be enough staff with our restrictions of having only one staff member work in one facility, the reason that when we implemented that order on Friday, we gave some time for there to be uh, um, the effective date, I guess I'll say, was that we knew that it would take some time to work with all of the operators and to make sure that we were trying to mitigate that issue of reduced staffing. We know that British Columbia has taken this step ahead of us and so we're also uh, we've been talking with them to learn from their experience make sure that we're applying as many of the lessons that they've learned as we can and so I you know recognize that there are not you know, there will be some bumps on this road uh, with respect to trying to get this right which again is why we've given uh, a one to two week window for making this change happen and so I guess what I would say is that we are doing our absolute best to do both things to make sure that all facilities have enough staff to safely care for residents and at the same time minimize the risk of transmission that's caused when staff move between facilities uh, and between many different facilities so all of those those details are being sorted out this week and my colleagues and I are, are working to make sure that both of those objectives are met. Operator, could we have another question? Next question is Rick Bell with the Calgary Sun. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Hinshaw. I just wanted to ask, um, when Albertans see that this province uh, has been more successful compared to many other jurisdictions that we see by turning on the television every day. And, and we see good news in the modeling and in the low level of people so far that are in hospitals and, and in ICU, uh, kind of a two-parter. How do you convince Albertans to continue be, to behave as more positive news comes out and if that positive news con continues, how do you convince people to continue to behave? And what do you tell the golfers who continue to want to golf, even though you've already discussed the reasons that they can't? So if you could answer that two-parter, I'd appreciate it. Sure. So for the first part, what I would say to Albertans is that it's because of you that we are so successful. And so the reason that we're seeing our numbers come in lower than our theoretical modeling. Uh, the reason that we've been more successful than other jurisdictions is because Albertans have 
been willing to make sacrifices to protect the greater good, to protect their neighbours and their loved ones. Uh, so with respect to convincing them to keep up the distancing, I think I would say two things. One is that this distancing will not last forever. Uh, we are watching our numbers closely and we are in active discussions about what kinds of things we might be able to ease up on if we continue to have a trend of numbers that are declining uh, over a several week period. So I want to assure Albertans that uh, these restrictions again will not be in place forever. And I also would say that if we release our hold on restrictions too soon, uh, that we could undo all of the work and all of the sacrifices that we've collectively made to get to this point. So I guess I would ask Albertans to trust that, that we know that these restrictions are not easy, uh, that they are causing hardship, uh, and that we are making plans to ease them off in a way that will have the least impact on progression of the disease uh, when we make sure that we have the numbers to do so and also the infrastructure to be able to prevent further spread because uh, if we were to ease off our restrictions too quickly then we it, we could potentially see spread like other jurisdictions have with respect to the golf course question i again know that there are many people who deeply enjoy golfing for whom it is a part not just of physical health but of mental health and again it is one of many sacrifices that we're asking albertans to make uh, as you know golf has been determined to be a non-essential service at this time and so it is impacted by our restrictions but I would say to golfers, again, the same thing as I would say to other Albertans, which is to trust that we are looking very closely at our numbers and that as we get to a point where we can think about easing restrictions, outdoor recreation uh, is certainly on that list of things to be considered. Uh, but at this time, again, it, we're not yet at that point where we can start easing off. And so that sacrifice, just like all the other sacrifices that Albertans are making, is helping us to maintain that a good performance that we've been able to have so far. Excellent. Operator, could you please put through another question? The next is Rafi Bujikanian with CBC. Go ahead, Rafi. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm just wondering if you can address, I guess you kind of talked about, you know, um, easing up restrictions too quickly just now, but especially in light of, you know, Edmontonians hearing that the Fringe Festival in August will not take place now. I mean, August seems quite a ways away, but we're seeing that, uh, you know, we're seeing that the pandemic is still having an effect even on events quite far down the line. I guess my question is how much longer uh, should Albertans and then Canadians expect to deal with the impact of this pandemic on their lives? So I would say that Albertans and Canadians need to be prepared that the pandemic will continue to have an impact on our lives for many months to come. That impact will shift and change over time. Uh, however, we will need to continue to be vigilant for anyone who's feeling sick to be staying home and away from others. Uh, some of the enhanced measures that we've been talking about, our expanded testing, uh, our ability to do contact tracing in a really robust way, making sure that if someone is a close contact of a case that they do stay home for 14 days. Uh, in addition to travel restrictions, thinking about where Albertans travel to and where they come, come back from and whether or not they need to go into that two-week quarantine after coming back, all of those are things that I would anticipate will be in place for some time. We know that 
many of the events that we would call super spreader events, which is where you have maybe one infected person and out of a gathering, you end up with 20 or 30 infected people from one event. We know that many of those events were more social gatherings uh, than than anything else and so I think something like the Fringe Festival, other social gatherings, until we have a vaccine or some other means of ensuring widespread immunity, some of these gatherings are going to be the riskiest kinds of activities to engage in, especially gatherings that bring together people from all over the country or all over the world. So those kinds of restrictions I would anticipate uh, will be in place for some time. However, restrictions about other activities, workplaces, again, those are the kinds of things we're looking at. How can we ease off on some of those things at the appropriate time so that we can have a little more of a, a normal return to our day-to-day -day, while some of the other pieces will probably be with us for a lot longer. Operator, could you please put through another question? Next is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering what our testing capacity is right now today, what the goal testing capacity is, and what is holding us back from that goal? So uh, our current testing capacity is approximately 7,400 uh, lab tests that can be run in a day. Uh, we are aiming to have that up to about 9,000 tests a day by the end of the month. And ultimately our testing goal by uh, mid to late May would be approximately 20,000 tests a day. That would be a combination of swab tests as well as serology, the blood tests. Uh, and in terms of what's holding us back, so there are different pieces of equipment that have been ordered. And so we're waiting for some of the high volume rapid throughput equipment to arrive. Another challenge that we face is that across the world, there are many people who want to expand testing capacity. And so some of the chemicals that are used in testing, you've heard us talk about reagent before. So the chemicals that go in to make up reagent and reagent, as well as the swabs, the supply of those materials can sometimes fluctuate. And so even though the lab has the technical capacity to run 7,400 tests a day, if we don't have enough of the reagent to do so or enough swabs to test people, that could at some point in the future limit the number of tests we can do. The lab uh, and Alberta Health Services are working very hard to search every possible way of getting those materials, of making materials in the province where we can. And so I think there's a really good chance that we will be able to hit that those targets. Uh, but there's always that need for that note of caution because a lot of that work does depend on supply chain, depends on shipments arriving. Uh, and so we continue to assess day by day, but at the moment, again, we, we do have the capacity to expand our testing as of today. We have time for a few more, so operator, could you put through the next question? This is Janice Johnston with CBC. Go ahead, Janice. Yes, hi, Dr. Hinshaw. You mentioned earlier that you started testing healthcare workers 10 days ago and then added first responders and correctional facility staff. I'm wondering if you have any breakdown in numbers about those specific uh, employees. 
So it's a good question and we would likely be able to get from Alberta Health Services of those who've gone through the online form, uh, they would likely be able to tell us those who've been referred for testing. I think that I've had a question before about how many positive results we've had within those different subgroups. Uh, we are working on a more robust healthcare worker report that we anticipate being able to release at least weekly. So you can look for that in the coming days for healthcare workers specifically. With respect to some of the other categories, uh, I know I've heard from some of the professional associations of some first responders that they're tracking them. So we are working with different organizations uh, because we don't always get in the positive data that comes back to us, the profession of that individual. Uh, so we're collecting again, kind of data and different pieces and then working to put it together as a, as a complete picture, but we don't quite yet have that complete picture. We'll take three more. Operator, could you put through the next question? Uh, Adam Toy with Global News. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Just uh, wondering, a week ago you uh, said that uh, the use and wearing of non-medical masks, face masks, may provide added benefits for folks who are unable to social distance while they're out, say, doing their grocery shopping, wondering if you have uh, been able to see any of this uh, non-medical mask use in the wild, so to speak, and uh, whether or not you're happy with how they're being used so far, uh, get your impression on that so far. Thank you. So personally, um, I'm usually either at work or at home. I, I don't actually go out very much <laughs> because I'm usually in the office for 12 to 14 hours a day. Uh, but as I drive to and from the office, I certainly have seen people on the sidewalk wearing masks. Uh, I think I wouldn't have had the opportunity to observe, let's say in a grocery store or in another crowded environment, what I consider to be the most important element if people are considering wearing masks in public, which is to make sure that they're washing their hands or cleaning their hands with uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer before they put the mask on and before and after they take the mask off. Uh, so I want to emphasize again that while wearing that mask can add a layer of protection, if people are touching their face with uncleaned hands, again, either putting the mask on or taking it off, they can actually cause more risk to themselves. Uh, so I certainly would say I've seen just in my very brief um, drives to and from work, uh, the number of masks go up, but I haven't been able to see if that most critical part of wearing masks is something that people are doing. So I would really encourage anyone who is wearing a mask to remember that uh, it's very important to wear it safely. We'll take two more. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Julia Wong with Global. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I was just wondering, what is uh, the province looking at before deploying antibody testing? You, you did mention the serological testing earlier, and I heard a mention of mid-May. So is that the, the expected timeline? So our lab is working on evaluating different options for serology testing. As you may know, there are lots of different options out there at this time. You know, there's lots of companies that are developing this technology. And so we're evaluating some of the, the most promising technologies. And so we're, we're hoping to be able to get some of that serology testing uh, potentially as early as the end of this month. And that testing will be used to determine who has been infected in the past, so who has antibodies to 
COVID-19. And so that's not the serology tests that we're evaluating, the ones that are currently available right now, are not tests that we would use to diagnose an active infection. And so we're going to be using them again, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we will have some that will be available. We'll be using them to look at the specific groups in the population, such as healthcare workers, where knowing who has had a previous infection uh, may be useful to determine immunity and again to help us understand going forward more about who may have had infection without showing significant symptoms. Uh, and so that's, those are just some examples. Uh, but again, you can wait, you can uh, watch for more information to come over the next several weeks as we complete our evaluations and testing. Okay. Operator, could you put through our final question, please? Next question is Dylan Short with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, Dylan. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I, I'm asking for uh, a bit of a clarification on some restriction orders in effect at senior home centers. Um, you said that there would be special exceptions of visitors entering long-term care facilities, um, mostly around individuals who may be dying. I was wondering if we could get a clarification on what dying means. Is that like within hours of their death days? Is it individual cases? I guess just a further clarification on that. Sure. So I, I know that there has been some discussion about um, how imminent death needs to be in order for a, a visitor exception to be made. I think that that is something that's very difficult to judge. Certainly uh, in my training when I was working in a more one-on-one -on -one setting and we were being asked to evaluate the likelihood of a particular individual when they would pass away, it's very difficult to give that assessment um, in an hours to days kind of way. So sometimes I think it really is asking the people at those long-term care facilities, the operators, to make an assessment of if someone is likely to be passing away uh, in their judgment based on their knowledge and, and the opinions of the clinical care team uh, within the coming days, then that would be again, the intent of, of my ex exception in that order would be for that if some to allow family members to visit that person if it's if it's imminent with respect to over the next several days that person's expected to pass away uh, because that you know again, I think if you wait until it's a matter of hours, we just aren't don't have that kind of precise prediction value in terms of knowing exactly when death will occur. Thank you all for coming. Dr. Hinshaw will provide another update tomorrow afternoon, tentatively scheduled for 3.30. Thank you. All right, you've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw's uh, daily update. Again, I can tell you 81 new cases in the province, bringing the total to 1,732. 877 have recovered. 254 of those cases believed to be community transmission, and we've had two more deaths, bringing the total in Alberta to 46.